Hey everyone, this is John Davis, Senior Minister at Columbia Christian Church. I want to thank you for spending time out of your day to listen to our podcast. Uh, On this particular episode, the first few minutes of the sermon weren't recorded. That's because lately we've been uh, pulling our audio in from our Facebook Live feed on Sundays, and uh, the feed went out for just a, a moment at the beginning of the sermon. Thankfully, we've got almost all the sermon available for you, but you're coming in uh, after just a short bit of the introduction. And so uh, here now for you is what we got, and we got almost all of it, uh, from the sermon on submitting to rulers and authorities from Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Hope you enjoy it and hope it blesses your day. Unsafe. For the last three months, as we all know, governors all across the country have issued orders for non-essential businesses to close and for groups of 10 or more, for a long time there, to stop meeting to prevent the spread of coronavirus. And because of this, some business owners in other states are now facing the question of whether or not to disobey those government orders to keep their businesses afloat, to keep their livelihood. In some states, churches of a certain size are still prohibited by the government from gathering on Sundays for worship, even while other large gatherings are given approval. On July 3rd, the day before Independence Day, not too long ago, the governor of California banned singing in churches in his state to prevent the spread of coronavirus. And along with all of these coronavirus laws and mandates and orders, we have recently seen numerous other laws and mandates coming down about LGBT issues and limits on religious liberty, especially from the Supreme Court in recent days. And all of this begs the question, what does God require of us as Christians as we submit to our government authorities? What does God require of us as Christians? What does it look like for a Christian to submit to government authorities. Now, the first thing I want you to, to see and go home with today is this. Submission, as Paul talks about it here in Titus 3.1, submission means recognizing the government in particular as a legitimate authority over us as citizens. Submission to our government, our government means recognizing them as a legitimate authority over us As citizens. Listen to what Paul, same author who wrote Titus, listen to what Paul also says in Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Paul tells us there, God puts authorities in their places. God puts authorities in their places. Ultimately, it is not human beings who put authorities in their places. It is God himself. And therefore, resisting legitimate authorities is like resisting God himself. An attitude of, I don't care what the government says, I'm going to do what I want, is actually not a Christian attitude. It's not a Christian attitude. Because God is not your only authority, believe it or not. God is not your only authority. He is your highest and most important authority, yes. God is your ultimate authority, yes. 
but he is not your, own, your only authority. God himself tells us in the New Testament, there are other authority figures that we should have. Children are to be in subject to parents, wives to husbands, church members to elders, and citizens to governments. God himself says this to us in his word. And so God puts authorities in their positions. And he grants them the authority to rule. We see Jesus in a conversation with Pilate, a Roman authority of his day, in John chapter 19. Pilate was certainly not a godly authority. He was not sympathetic to the cause of Jesus or his followers or God's people. And yet when Jesus talks to him privately, right before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it was granted to you by my Father in heaven. What's Jesus saying to him? He's saying, you wouldn't even have this position unless God gave it to you. And notice there, Jesus actually does say, Pilate, you do have authority over me in a sense. Jesus himself the creator of the universe, tells an ungodly ruler, you, you have legitimate authority, but it was given to you by God. You wouldn't have authority if you didn't receive it from God himself. And so there is a proper God-honoring attitude of respect and submission to our governing leaders. If you're a Christian today, part of following Christ, part of obeying God, means actually submitting to our government authorities and having an attitude of submission and respect and honor to our government authorities that God has placed over us and that God has placed us under. Even when we did not vote for that person, even when there's an authority figure in the government that you didn't vote for, that you don't think should be the one to have that position, you still honor them as having a legitimate position of authority over you. Part of following Christ means showing respect to authorities you disagree with. And so I don't care who you are this morning, you probably have a much different view of the current president than the one that came before. Right? I don't care who you are. One way or the other, you probably have a much different view of the current president than the one that came before. But honor is owed to both because of the office itself. And because of the authority that God has given. This is more than just being a citizen. This is part of following God himself and following Jesus Christ. Now, through all of that, we see that submission means acknowledging that our government authorities have a legitimate authority over us and we are under them. But then we need to ask the question, does this mean that we as Christians must obey every government order? Does this mean that Christians must obey every government order? And the answer is no. It doesn't mean that we must obey every government order, but I will say this, there are only two situations as a Christian in which you are free to disobey the government. Indeed, these would be two situations in which it would be your Christian responsibility to disobey the government in a civil way. Those two situations are this. If a government forbids what God commands or if a government commands what God forbids. Right? It's an easy way to remember it. As Christians, we are free to disobey. Indeed, we are given a godly responsibility to dis disobey our government if the government f 
forbids what God commands or commands what God forbids. We see examples of both of these situations in the Old Testament book of Daniel. You remember the book of Daniel where the Israelites are actually living in a foreign land, Babylon, and Daniel, who loves the Lord, is a man who prays three times every day to God. And the king and his advisors pass a law making it illegal for citizens to pray to anyone but the king. Indeed, this edict comes about because people are jealous of who Daniel is. But it becomes law. It's illegal to pray to anyone but the king. What does Daniel do? He marches right up to his room. He opens the windows so that people can see exactly what he's doing. And he prays three times a day, just like he did before. And because they know Daniel, they know he's not praying to the king. They know he's praying to the God of the universe, to the one true God. And so because of that, Daniel gets in trouble. Later in the same book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, a different king now, issues a decree that when music is played, music is played that tons of people can hear apparently, when this music is played, every citizen is required to bow down and worship this big, giant, golden statue that he created. Every citizen is required to do this. What happens? The music is played, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who love the Lord, refuse And because of that, they get thrown into a fiery furnace. But these are two situations right there in the book of Daniel where Christians, or believers, I should say, in the Old Testament, are required to disobey civilly because the government has either forbidden what God commanded or a government has commanded what God forbids. And so, for example, if I was pastoring a church in California today where they have banned singing in worship services our church would be practicing civil disobedience on that. We would be singing and dealing with whatever consequences come because that's what the Lord has commanded us to do. Indeed, there are Christians all over the world this morning practicing civil disobedience by meeting together for worship in direct violation of their government's orders. Even before coronavirus happened, there's Christians, our brothers and sisters, across the world who are meeting risking their lives to meet and worship the Lord because their government has deemed it illegal. They could get arrested for what they're doing. Some of them could even get put to death for what they're doing. There are Christians around the world today who own Bibles in direct disobedience to their government's laws. Owning a Bible itself is illegal, and yet they hide it and they keep it secret from their government. Why? Because they have a higher authority. That's God himself. Now, on the other hand... In early March of this year, when the governor of Kentucky asked that all gatherings of 10 or more stop meeting, we abided by that order as a church. We abided by that order as a church. Because it was all gatherings. It was not just churches. It was not some specific command against churches. Now, having said that, there are parts of our country right now where some churches are now beginning to consider whether or not they've reached the point of needing to practice civil disobedience. As in other states, there are many churches that still can't meet, and yet it seems slowly but surely that there might be an unfair targeting of Christians by their government in those states. And so they're asking the question whether or not it's time to practice civil disobedience. But I wanted to point out there that in early March, our church abided by that order from the government. Right? So there are times where we will abide by what the government wants, and there are times where if the government forbids what God commands or commands what God forbids, 
that we will consider it our Christian duty to civilly disobey. Listen to what Peter writes, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Notice Peter saying there, Be subject to these human institutions for the Lord's sake. For the sake of the Lord. Now understand, Peter was writing... In the New Testament, Peter was writing during a time where the emperor and the government were horribly persecuting Christians. They were radically anti-Christian. It was way worse for Christians in relation to the government back then than it is now. We have never experienced anything in the United States of America like they did in the first century in places like Rome and the surrounding areas. Indeed, it's not only Peter and what he writes, but Paul's letter to the Romans... Romans 13, I read to you earlier, he talks about submitting to authorities. Paul's letter to Titus here in Titus chapter 3. These men, these apostles, are writing at a time where the government is radically anti-Christian. Radically anti-Christian. Christians were being arrested and thrown in jail simply for practicing their faith and believing. If you've heard stories about the emperor Nero of the time, Nero used to light Christians on fire to put them to death so that it would light the path of his garden at night. This is Christians, specifically, because he hated Christians and the movement that they represented. And so the government was radically anti-Christian back then, and yet the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter are saying, submit to the governing authorities. Radically anti-Christian governing authorities, and they are calling Christians to submit to them. Peter says, do it for the Lord's sake. In other words, this is a way you adorn the gospel. Remember how we talked about that a couple weeks ago from Titus? How do we adorn the gospel? How do we make the gospel attractive? How do we show off the gospel and all its glory and beauty to the non-believers around us? Well, we live in such a way that is consistent with godliness. And one one of the ways that you adorn the gospel, Christian, is by being a good citizen. Christians are called to be good citizens in their communities. Remember Titus and Timothy, when they talk about the qualifications for elders, or I should say Paul's letters to Titus and Timothy. When he talks about the qualifications for elders, he said elders should have a good reputation among outsiders. Right? This is one of the ways we adorn the gospel. We live as good citizens in our communities. Christians should be good citizens. And so... There are laws that we might not like at times, right? There are laws that we might not like at times, but we obey for the Lord's sake. Not necessarily for the sake of the governor or the president or Congress or whomever. We obey for the Lord's sake. There there are times where I am in my car and I don't want to put my seatbelt on. And I do it for the Lord's sake. I do it out of conscience. I do it out of obedience to the Lord, right? Perhaps I should be doing it for other reasons. Perhaps I should be doing it out of safety. But there are times where I do it out of obedience to the Lord. Perhaps you might think of paying taxes as something that you don't really want to do. The government's taking this big chunk out of the money that I earn, and the government's going to use it, for, at least in some ways, for purposes that I don't agree with. Right? 
and yet we still pay taxes as obedient citizens. Indeed, if you read Romans 13, the first few verses, Paul explicitly mentions paying taxes as one way that we should submit to our government. And so I'll just you know, let the cat out of the bag here for me. If I go into Walmart this week, I'm wearing a mask. I'm going to be putting a mask on. Not necessarily for Governor Bashir's sake, all right? There are times where I feel like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be wearing masks as much as we are. Maybe, maybe we should be increasing our immunity. Maybe this, maybe that. And I'll tell you right now, I don't want to wear it. I hate wearing those things. It fogs up my glasses, makes me feel like I can't breathe, especially when it's hot outside. But the governor has issued an order, and I'm not going to look for a loophole for a way to disobey. For the Lord's sake, I will obey that order. And so the next time I'm at Walmart, I'm going to wear a mask, even if I don't really want to. Right? I mean, think about this. Paul does not say submit to authorities and rulers, but only when you want to. Paul does not say submit to authorities and rulers unless their laws affect your own personal comfort. The very idea of submitting means there will be times when you don't want to, but you should anyway. The very idea of submitting means there will be times when you don't want to, but you should anyway. There's a difference between laws that go against God's will and laws that go against my own personal preferences. I'm talking about me here. It's not just you guys out there. It's me too. Listen to this story from Jesus' life from Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, as so often happened in Jesus' life, the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus in his words. They were looking for any excuse they could find to get Jesus off the scene because he made them feel so convicted and bad about themselves and what they were doing. And so the Pharisees come up to Jesus, the religious leaders of that day, and they say, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render to God the things that are God's. What Jesus means by that is, there are appropriate ways to submit to your governing authority. There are things that you owe them. And so you render to your government authorities what they deserve to have you render to them. And you render to God what God deserves. What does God deserve? Everything. Everything. But let us not use God as an excuse to get out of the first part of it. Jesus is not saying, oh, because God, oh, God, God deserves everything from you, that you don't have to render to Caesar anything. He doesn't say that. He says both. Render to Caesar what is Caesar and God what is God's. And so if you're a Christian this morning, you have to ask yourself in every little corner of your life, How do I submit this to God in how he wants me to live? Every little bitty corner of your life. If there is a a small little piece of your life that you have been holding back from God, the Holy Spirit is calling you today to submit that to him. Maybe that's submission to government. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a sin that you're just not ready to part with, not ready to repent of yet. 
But all this to say, God owns every little part of our lives, including how we relate to our governments. And part of that means submission to legitimate governments as long as they are not forbidding what God has commanded or commanded what God has forbidden. Even Jesus himself said we should be subject to legitimate governing authorities. And so, in conclusion this morning, this is really important to think about in a time like this, a time where, at least in America, political divisions are maybe stronger and, and, and more uh, up to the surface than they have ever been. And in a time where we're about to experience an election year here in America, in an election year, you know this, in an election year, all the things that divide us are forced to the surface. And they're, they're shoved in our faces for four or five months. All of the issues that divide us are about to be shoved into our faces for about four or five months. And all of those conversations are going to bubble up and come up. And in a time like that, it's important to remember, our hope is not in politics. Our hope as Christians is not in politics. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in politics. Politicians and governments have their place. As Christians, we even believe that being active in politics and being active in policy and being active in making our world a better place through the governmental means, that's a good thing for Christians to do. But our hope is not in them. Even if your preferred political party gains control of the House, the Senate, the Supreme Court, and the presidency this November, it still would not be enough to solve the problems of our country. Why? Because the problems are not out there. The problems are in here. The problems in our country and in our world are not out there. They're in here. And that's one of the biggest things that people are getting wrong right now. It's one of the biggest things that people are missing right now. Government cannot fix our problems. The government can curtail our problems. Indeed, that's a biblical function of government. But the government cannot fix our problems because the problems are not out there. The problems are in here. A utopian society is impossible until Jesus returns. The government cannot fix our problems. And so our hope is not in the government. Jesus is the only answer to the problems of mankind because the problem is sin. The sin of human hearts. One day Jesus will return and set everything right. One day Jesus will come back and he will set everything right. And I hope you are praying with me that God would make that happen soon. That Jesus would come back soon. One day he will return and set everything right. But until then, we are like the Israelites in Jeremiah chapter 29. In Jeremiah 29, the Israelites are living in Babylon. All right? God had punished the Israelite nation. He would brought Babylon in to take them over, to sack the place. And Babylon, and the country of Babylon, the king of Babylon, they carted the Israelites off to Babylon. And now the Israelites are living in a foreign land where they speak a foreign language, where they don't worship God at all. Nothing is, is home there. And what does God say to the Israelites in Jeremiah 29? He says, plant roots in that place. Build houses. Get married. Have babies. Plant gardens. Work for the welfare of the city. And as you do so, wait 
for me to come and deliver you when I've decided to come and deliver you. I will come to deliver you, but until then, wait and work for the welfare of the place you are in. And in seeking its welfare, you will find your own. And so, brothers and sisters, the United States is not our home this morning. I I get that it is our home in a sense, right? There is a sense in which the United States of America is my home in a way that no other country is. But as a Christian, the United States is not my home. This world is not my home. We are exiles living in a foreign land where they don't speak our language, where they don't worship our God. And we are working for the welfare of the place we are at, but it's not our home. We're waiting for deliverance. We're waiting for Christ to come back. Did you know that you have more in common, if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a believer, if you've given your life over to Jesus, not just do you believe the Bible is true. No, if if you've given your life to Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you take up your cross every day and follow Him, did you know that you have more in common with a Christian in Bangladesh than you do with a non-Christian here in America? If you're a Christian this morning, you have more in common with other Christians all the way across the world in places like China and Sudan and Russia and Brazil than you do with a non-Christian here who is like you in every other way. Why? Because God tells us those are our brothers and sisters. Our brothers and sisters are the ones who follow Christ. Jesus says, who is my mother? Who is my brothers and sisters? It's the one who does the will of God. And we will spend eternity with them. But even the person here in America, here in Colombia, who's so much like you, but is not a believer, if they don't come to Christ before they die or before Jesus returns, you actually won't spend eternity with them. They're not part of your family until they come to Christ. And yet you have family all across the world, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I say all that just to, to reiterate This world is not our home, and so this country is not our home. We are Christians before we are Americans. And if you don't believe that, then I ask you to look at yourself and ask yourself whether or not you actually are a Christian this morning. We are Christians before we are Americans. We are Christians before we are anything else. And Jesus is the only answer to the problems of mankind, not a political party gaining power. But Jesus, let me tell you, is not only the answer for the future, he's the answer here and now. Because the problems are not out there, right? The problems are in here. And Jesus is the only one who can change that. Jesus is the only one who can cleanse you of your sin. Jesus is the only one who can give you a clear conscience before God and reconcile you to Him. Do you know that if you are not in Christ this morning, you're God's enemy? Which is the one person that you don't want to have as your enemy. If you are not a Christian this morning, you are God's enemy. If you are not with Christ, you are against Him. And let me me tell you, brothers and sisters, Believing that Jesus died on the cross, believing that he rose from the dead, that does not make you a Christian. Satan believes all that stuff. What makes you a follower of Jesus is if you treasure him above everything else. If you follow him, if you take up your cross 
and deny yourself and go after Him, if you give Him your life, that's what makes you a Christian. When we come before the judgment, I want you to know that Jesus is going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not that He will look at you and say, I never knew you. Don't hang your eternity on the fact that you pray before meals or the fact that you attend church worship services when you can. Don't hang your eternity on that. Following Jesus is a matter of your heart. Is He your Lord today? Do you know that He would look to you and say, yes, well done, good and faithful servant at the judgment day? Because I think just about the worst thing in the whole wide world is for somebody to think they're going into heaven. And at the judgment day, to look at Christ and to have Him look you in the eye, and you you believe you're going into heaven for all eternity, and He looks at you and He says, I didn't know you. Depart from me forever. That's about the worst thing I can think of that could ever happen to someone. And so you want to know this morning. Our hope is not in politics. Yes, we are here submitting to our government rulers as long as they do not forbid what God commands or command what God forbids. But our hope is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would lay such a burden on our hearts this morning that if if there is anyone here or anyone listening who has not given their life to Jesus, that they would be so uneasy until they do. I pray that you would help us to think long and hard about eternity. And I pray that you would help us to think long and hard about our lives here and now and what they look like and how we are either adorning or not adorning the gospel by the ways that we act and the attitudes that we have. God, help us to be good citizens as Christians. Help us to be submissive to our government authorities even when we do not particularly want to. And help us to take up our Christian responsibility to civilly disobey when the time comes, if the time comes. Help us this year, this election year, to shine a light into the world of unity in the church of God, in the church of Jesus Christ. Republicans and Democrats together worshiping the Lord, uniting around one gospel, and proclaiming to the world that our hope is not in politics, it's in Jesus. God, thank you for your good word to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in just a